This is an AMI podcast. I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. I'm writing this monologue at 3 a.m. I've tossed and turned for hours, but finally given up on sleep. Cocooned in ringing silence, alone with my thoughts, I can finally admit I'm scared. I like to think that I've kept my chin up during COVID-19, done everything to make it easier on myself and my husband. I'm grateful for my job, home, and family, and for all of you. But the anxiety ex- attacks come on unbidden. The feelings of depression and isolation are looming like unwanted sentinels. But now, bolstered by several hours of sleep, I can imagine the infinite possibilities. I know we can get through this together. Today, we discuss mental health during COVID-19. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juwita Gupta, and on today's program, we are again delivering content to you while we self-isolate and work from home. I want to acknowledge that today might be a difficult show, as the conversation about mental health during COVID-19 is a heavy one. I want to say that if you or someone you know is experiencing any kind of distress, feel free to reach out to a friend or family member. But if that isn't a possibility, please call your local crisis center or the 24-7 Canada Suicide Prevention Service, available in French or English, toll-free at 1-833-456-4566. There is also the First Nations and Inuit Hope for Wellness 24-7 helpline at 1-855-242-3310. I also want to remind you that AMI wants to make sure, Accessible Media wants to make sure that you are kept well informed about the latest developments in COVID-19 news. Please visit our website at ami.ca forward slash COVID-19 for up-to-date information and segments from all of our daily live shows. The Pulse. Kelly and Company, and of course now with Dave Brown. Later in the program, my guest will be Caitlin O'Toole, who is an occupational therapist. Caitlin recently co-authored a study at the University of Alberta about the benefits of mobile health apps for military members and first responders seeking support. But first, my guest is Dr. Kim Hellmans, who is the chair of the Neuroscience Department at Carleton University in Ottawa and the co-host of an award-winning podcast. Dr. Hellmans, welcome to The Pulse. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I know that during any crisis, COVID-19 being no exception, the rates of mental health concerns go up, anxiety goes up, depression goes up. Dr. Hellmans, based on your research, why does that happen? What is going on in the human brain? Sure. So I think it's always helpful to to go back to our ancestral times uh, when we were uh, cavemen and cavewomen lurking the earth. Uh, and it made sense for our ancestors back then to live in tribes, to cohabit with others, because that enhanced the likelihood of their survival. So, you know, they're more likely to benefit from somebody else going out and getting food and bringing it back to the tribe or having lots of people around to protect against predators or, or other threats. And so what that means is that if our ancestors were socially isolated, so living apart from a, a social group, that would have initiated a stress response. 
And that stress response was actually adaptive because what it did is it pumped out a lot of hormones and neurotransmitters, the chemicals that uh, fuel our brain uh, or signal in our brain. What that would have done is is say, you need to be paying attention. You need to be uh, aware of this threat to your possible survival and to go out and seek shelter or seek uh, companionship uh, uh, and, and try to defend against um, being socially isolated. And so what that means is nowadays, um, when we are socially disconnected or feeling lonely, um, that initiates a, a stress response in our body. And if we can't end that loneliness, if we can't seek out a social support group or call a friend, uh, those stress levels continue. Uh, and certainly for people who might be more at risk for things like depression and anxiety disorders, this might worsen or exacerbate existing um, depression and anxiety. I know that you are the co-host of an award-winning podcast, so I really want to ask you about your podcast because I think it's a way to bring science to ordinary people. So tell us more about it. Yeah, sure. So my, uh, our podcast is called Minding the Brain, and I co-host it along with my uh, friend and colleague, Dr. Jim Davies, who's a professor in uh, the Department of Cognitive Science. So that's why it's Minding the Brain, because he's the mind and I'm the brain. Uh, so we, we take turns... Uh, interviewing each other on topics related, of course, to psychology, cognitive science, mental health, neuroscience. And um, uh, we've ranged topics from why people believe in alien invasions to concussions to um, people hearing voices in their heads. So it's a real uh, smorgasbord of topics that uh, that we think have some popular appeal. And importantly, we're bringing the science to the people, right? So we have um, most of our conversations are evidence-based. We, we dig into the literature. And, and I think Jim and I, um, our strength is that we do a lot of knowledge translation and science communication in a way that I think is accessible to the everyday person. So if you're interested, uh, mindingthebrainpodcast.com um, is our website. And we're on all the podcast hosts. So we're on Stitcher, we're on um, iTunes and the Apple products. Awesome. Well, you know, one of the things that we're thinking about in terms of COVID-19 and dealing with some of the stress that's arisen out of this unprecedented situation, I've been doing a lot of reading online and listening to the radio and people say it's really important to have a routine. But just based on your experience of hosting the podcast, do you feel and I ask this because I don't think anyone's really talking about it, but do you feel that having some kind of a creative outlet like the podcast might be for mm. you, is a way to deal with or mitigate some of those stress and some of that anxiety. For sure, yeah. There's there's good evidence that having those sort of creative outlets really do um, mitigate against the sort of feelings of stress and anxiety. Anytime that we're engaging in something mindfully and being in the, in a, the present, um, painting, dancing, um, sewing, crafts, anything like that, I, I think there's really good strong evidence that this can um, kind of take us away from our worries, so to speak. Um, and, I, and I have heard, certainly, there's a lot of anecdotes out there of people like taking up baking or doing lots of um, painting any anything uh, where they're they may have not have had the time to do so, they're they're feeling like okay, maybe this is a this is the opportunity to engage in a hobby. Of course, this is not always easy, and recognizing that there are some folks where um, that might be proved too difficult because they're coping with you know childcare, elder care, other um, sources of stress. So yeah, if you can, if you have the opportunity to um, do something that you enjoy, this is really wonderful for our mental health. 
And, you know, in terms of your previous research um, and in terms of my previous background in women's studies, I remember taking a course and learning about the double day for women, this idea that if you're a woman, you might work a full-time paid job only to come home and then work with the equivalent of another full-time job, only that would include home care, child care, and that second job would be essentially unpaid or go the, the double day. And we know that a lot of children are staying home because of COVID-19. I know some of your previous research has looked at the gendered impact of mental health. Do you think that we're going to see an increase in uh, the ways in which mental health concerns manifest in women? And will more women be susceptible relative to men? Uh, that's an excellent question, Joita, and thank you for raising that because I think it, it you know, what I'm hearing in this discourse uh, in the media, um, popular media and, and um, social media, is that uh, what the what the COVID-19 pandemic has done, along with other, you know, natural disasters or wars, is is it amplifies existing societal uh, disparities, right? So we're seeing, you know. Um, uh, people of color um, more likely to die from COVID-19. And perhaps also one of the, the impacts of that is where, where women do have this dual role and they're more likely to, you know, to be the ones caregiving and, and um, taking responsibilities at home, not to say that men don't, but more women do, um, that this is amplified under these circumstances. And, and we may have more uh, women that are taking on the responsibilities of doing the homeschooling with their children coupled with, um, as you said, there is evidence that women are, are, well, it's well known that women are more at risk for the development of depression and anxiety disorders. This way may well exacerbate uh, that scenario. And, and I, I applaud you for, for raising that because I think it's something that we need to be mindful of um, coming out of this pandemic or even during the pandemic, uh, not to mention also increased rates, rates of spousal and domestic abuse. Uh, and of course, women are, are very much uh, more likely to be victimized in that way. So we need to have our lens on, on the vulnerable populations um, coming in and out of this pandemic. In the minute or so that we have left, I want to ask you to expand on a remark you made previously, Dr. Hellmans, which is, it's okay not to be okay. What did you mean by that? Because sometimes we have this tendency to to make ourselves like, oh, maybe I'm, uh, uh, you know, somebody else has it worse, right? Like, I should feel grateful because I have a roof over my head and I have, uh, um, you know, a meal that I can count on for today. And so we always have this tendency to like, you know, somebody's got it better or worse than us. And I, I think we have the tendency to, sh- to beat ourselves with a gratitude stick sometimes um, and not give ourselves permission to acknowledge the emotion that we're experiencing right now. And everybody's got some different reaction emotionally to this pandemic. Some of us are feeling grief. Some of us are experiencing trauma. Others are just feeling frustrated and irritable. And that's okay. And we need to acknowledge it in order to move through it and to receive um, supports and, and reach out to your supports if you're not doing okay, because uh, chances are somebody's out there on the line, ready to listen and ready to provide you that care that you need. Dr. Hellmans, let me acknowledge how great it's been to talk to you today. Thank you so much. Likewise, Joita. I really appreciated our conversation. That was Dr. Kim Hellmans, the chair of the neuroscience department at Carleton University in Ottawa and the co-host of the Minding the Brain podcast, which is an award-winning podcast and available on your favorite podcast platforms. Now, I'm joined by Caitlin O'Toole, who is an occupational therapist who recently co-authored a study at the University of Alberta. 
about the benefits of mobile health apps for military members, first responders, and quite possibly the rest of us as we all seek solutions during COVID-19. Caitlin, welcome to The Pulse. Thank you for having me. So, Caitlin, your research looked at the relationship between access to mental health apps and people's mental health and mental well-being. Tell us a little more about your research. What did you find? Uh, That's correct. I I actually started the project um, as part of my master's in occupational therapy program at University of Alberta. And so what I was looking at at the time was looking into first responders and military members and looking for apps that were out there, um, created, accessible to the public, that were helpful for this population um, to improve their mental health and mental well-being. And I found some really interesting things. Um, I found that there's actually quite a wide variety of apps out there. Um, Many of them are actually very good quality, created by very reputable developers. Um, And I was actually really excited to see that many of them included um, content that would be recommended by um, a therapist, an occupational therapist, um, kind of some of those mental health tools that are commonly used in practice. And so I thought it was such a great way for people to, you know, get comfortable with the topics of mental health, maybe if they aren't quite comfortable seeing an actual therapist yet. Uh, let me ask you a little bit. Were the apps that you looked at all free or was there a nominal cost attached to some or all of them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I actually built that in, into my exclusion criteria. I did find a a very large amount of apps to start with, and I narrowed it down to 12 that I looked at. All 12 that I looked at were free, but Mm -hmm. I did find that actually the majority of apps in general were free. Um, Some did have charges to them, but I actually made that a criteria that I wouldn't accept any apps over $5. And luckily I found that either they were either far, far over $5, I'm talking $9, even a weekly fee for some of them, but honestly the majority were just completely free. And that leads me to my next question. Even with the majority of apps being free, the real issue perhaps is just the the number of apps that are out there. And so if you're a person who's dealing with a mental health crisis, how do you sift through all of those apps to figure out the ones that are the most credible and the most useful to you? Do you have some criteria for us? Yes. So that is a huge concern. Um, When I first started this project, I started just searching mental well-being apps in the app stores and I found so many apps it was actually impossible to sort through so I even had to switch the criteria and what I did was I actually looked on Google first for recommendations because I thought that way they were more peer-reviewed people could type in kind of what they were looking for why they were looking for it and actually read a background and I found that that really helped me narrow my search through that I then um, like I said excluded apps that were expensive because there's so many good apps out there that are free Um, If you're comfortable, I I would say use a free one first. Um, I also look at the developers when I was looking for them. So looking at what's a reputable developer, um, as I said, I was looking for military members and first responders. So I found quite a few apps created by, you know, the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. So in my mind, that is a credible source. Um, I'm also looking for something that really kind of gives some background as to why they're offering the tools. Um, in, people need to know that, like, that there is reason that there is a mental health component behind just the tools offered in the apps. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the, kind of the, the first criteria I was looking at. One of the criteria that I often look at, being visually impaired myself, 
uh, when I look at any app is whether that app is accessible to me as a person with a visual impairment. And so mm -hmm. bearing in mind that perhaps you're not an accessibility expert or a developer yourself, have you heard anything from the public or did this sort of issue of accessibility come up in the reviews of the apps that you were looking at? Unfortunately, that wasn't something specifically I was looking into, but it is a really good point. And I mean, I would, my hope would be that many of these apps, um, many of them were quite heavily text-based, which I, I did mm -hmm. say was a bit of a deterrent. Um, but my hope would be that they would work with any sort of um, text reading software still. Um, mm -hmm. Also, a good thing is a number of the apps had um, voiceover cues. So not all of them relied on just reading. But many of them, once you got to the specific tool, it was a guided meditation or a guided visualization, guided deep breathing. So you could choose to have a voice guide you through it. Um, unfortunately, as I said, I, I wasn't looking specifically for that. But my hope would be that, you know, it was a bit more embedded into it than maybe some, some other apps might be. And my thinking is just cycling back to your previous point that with so many apps out there, if one app in particular isn't accessible to someone with a disability, perhaps there's something else that is. So, you know, there's probably something exactly. for everybody with a range of needs. So I have a colleague at AMI-audio. Her name is Megan Gilmore. She's a contributor on our, our morning show called Now with Dave Brown. And Megan is also a freelance journalist. She wrote an article that's been getting a lot of traction about how, you know, we're all dealing with COVID-19, but it's an extremely scary mm -hmm. time for people with disabilities who are dealing with stress and isolation as never before. I was so intrigued, Caitlin, when you said that your app was designed with first responders in mind and also with people who had had a history of service in the military. Do you think that these apps can offer a unique opportunity to people with disabilities to try and work on their mental health during COVID-19? I think so. Um, as I said, like you're correct. I was looking into a very specific population, but I think that there's some shared concerns that that population has that many other people are now experiencing um, that maybe isn't uh, common for them. So like the isolation, that was a part mm -hmm. that I was looking into with the military members is when they're out on deployment, you know, the apps maybe need to be um, not Wi-Fi based. Maybe they need to um, be free because they don't have access to a credit card or something like that. And I think that there's still a benefit for people in the community too now who are having those needs and who aren't maybe able to be in contact with their family members or just have had their regular routines disrupted mm -hmm. and people with disabilities, of course, too, in the same way, having, finding ways to make the connection with other people that might be different from what most people um, expect. And I think that mm -hmm. these apps are really good for offering those, those options. And so let me just ask you a question that you may have answered before, but just to reiterate, if these apps are so effective with helping first responders and helping people who are uh, the military personnel that you looked at, can your findings perhaps be generalized to the broader public? I mean, people without the history of military service or being first responders, just ordinary people dealing mm -hmm. with some extraordinary circumstances as we all adjust to our new COVID reality. Yeah, so... I, I can't speak definitively saying yes or no, they would help the population, but I think we can make some assumptions that, you know, if the it's apps are offering tools that are within line of what, you know, 
evidence-based in professions like occupational therapy, then, you know, why, why wouldn't they help the general population in a sense? So, I mean, what some of the tools I can say that the apps are recommending are things like deep or diaphragmatic breathing, um, mindfulness practice, different sleep strategies and suggestions, things like visualization. Those are things that the entire population can benefit from generally, even if you don't have mental health conditions. You know, there's always times when people get stressed and there's always times when people get overwhelmed. And I don't think that there's anything wrong in recommending that, you know, everyone could benefit from um, deep breathing practices if they find that that's something that they're struggling with. Um, so unfortunately, I can't say, you know, definitively that these would help to the same extent. But I think that, you know, it's still a very useful tool for people to start that discussion about mental health and looking into some of the things that are offered. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's good that these tools are out there for everybody to make use of at a time like this. You know, in previous remarks, mm-hmm. Caitlin, you've talked about stigma and how access to an app uh, that deals with mental health can help to reduce the barriers, but also reduce the stigma associated with mental health. Can you fill mm-hmm. us in on that? Yeah. So, again, with the population I looked at, they, there's extremely there's still that sense of stigma around mental health, unfortunately. And part of what I find really appealing of apps is that it lets you access content on your own time and in your own space. And it's generally on a private device. I understand not everyone has access to their own phone, but many people, it's, it's a more private way. And I just think it's really important for people to get com- like comfortable with the topics, comfortable with assessing their own mental health, um, many of the apps ask you to reflect on, you know, how you're feeling today. And they ask you questions that you might not necessarily think about for yourself, but it, it's kind of getting you more comfortable with those topics. Um, I don't recommend any of these to replace mental health services. Um, I think that people definitely should still be accessing mental health services if they're in crisis or in need. But I think that these are a good way to kind of get people more comfortable and more ready to access those services because it kind of gives them a chance to play around with the topics, mm-hmm. try some strategies out if they need them, and just really get comfortable before they, they take that step. Well, Caitlin, just before I let you go, can you tell me a little bit about uh, the gaps that this might be filling in our healthcare system? We've only got about a minute left, but there's so much strain on the healthcare system. Could an app like this really help to address some of the gaps and some of the missing pieces in the healthcare system? Um, I would hope maybe it could. I don't. I can't speak specifically yes, but I think that um, I know that there's many services right now that are maybe disrupted. People are having more trouble reaching out to services. So if people are seeing someone or aware that they're having a bit of a harder time, this is definitely a point of contact that they can reach out to for some support. Absolutely. Caitlin, thank you very much for being on the program. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Caitlin O'Toole, who joined us to talk about the benefits of online mental health apps for military members, first responders, and really for all of us as we go through COVID-19. I want to say that this has been a tough show and we've talked about some heavy topics. So if you or someone you know is experiencing any form of distress, please reach out to a friend or family member. But if that's not possible, please call your local crisis center or you can find the 24-7 Canada Suicide Prevention Service, available in French and English, toll-free at 
1-800-273-4566. There is also the First Nations and Inuit Hope for Wellness 24-7 helpline at 1-855-242-3310. We'll put both of those numbers on the show blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. And I'll also have a couple of additional thoughts on the blog. So I hope you'll visit us there. I want to wrap up by saying that Even as we self-isolate, and I've said this before, so I'll say it again, there is no harm in reaching out to friends and family and seeking the supports that are available to us in our communities. There are so many free tools like Zoom or Skype or FaceTime that make it possible for us to keep in touch with our friends and family. Feel free to also try something creative. It could be a hobby that you haven't pursued in a while or something brand new, whether it's putting out a podcast or trying to knit for the very first time. A creative outlet can be a wonderful way to look after your mental health. And don't forget to pay it forward, whether it's through groups like Caremongering TO or other such equivalents, or if you just want to grab some pots and pans and show your support for our essential workers and frontline workers at 7.30 in the evening, that's a great way to give back as well. I'd like to thank both Dr. Kim Hellmans as well as Caitlin O'Toole for being my guests on the program today. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanerol. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is our manager for AMI-audio, with special thanks going to Paula Deneen, supervisor for AMI-audio technical. Thanks a lot for listening to the program, and we'll talk to you soon. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.